Amen, amen, amen. It's time for children's sermon. Come on up here. All right. Any kids that want to come up for a short message are welcome to come to the front. Hello. Anybody else? We got to Hey. All right. How are you guys doing today? Y'all doing all right? Can I tell you a story today? I want to tell you this awesome story. So, when I was a little boy, uh, my dad used to go uh, from Iowa, where I grew up. Iowa was like in the middle of the United States. It gets snow. There's lots of snow there in the wintertime. People are wearing coats there right now. Um, and um, he would go to a place called Colorado, which was west quite a ways, like a couple days drive. And he would go there to hunt elk, which are like kind of look like a deer, only they're a lot bigger, right? And he would go every, every couple years, he would go to go hunt. And when he went away, uh, we didn't have cell phones then. So at home, at my house, our phone was like on the wall. Have you guys ever seen a phone on the wall before? It like sits there on the wall and it has this receiver that you hold up to your head. And then there's this big long cord. Yeah, that's the phone we had. So we had one phone uh, when I was real young and it was on the wall. And so I got to talk to my dad like twice because it was like $5 a minute to talk to somebody on the phone when they lived far away. And so he would call us and tell us how everything was going uh, with us while he, uh, I was going on his hunting trip. But one thing I loved was my dad always brought a special gift when he would come back from Colorado. And I would ask him when he would call. First thing, hey, did you shoot an elk yet? And he would tell me yes or no. And then he would say, and then guess what I would say? Did you get my gift yet? And it was like, no, 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 I haven't gotten it yet. I'm going to get it on the way home when we drive back. I'll pick it up for you, and I would be so excited. And then, and then the day would come when he was supposed to come home. And so we would wait, and he would always seem to make it home like at dinner time on the night he was supposed to be home. And I would wait at the t- kitchen table and look out of our windows and listen for his truck. And can you guys, can you hear your parents' cars sometimes? Like you hear their car and you know that they're home or whatever. That's, that's what I was, I would listen for his truck. And the dog knew what his truck sounded like. So the dog would give me a warning and she would bark. And then about five seconds later, he would pull up. And, you know, I loved seeing my dad and I loved seeing him safe and sound when he came home. But you know what I really loved? The present that he brought me. It was amazing. Did you know that God sent a gift to us? Did you know that? I want you to see if you can find any yellow cards. There's eight cards. Go get them. Bring them here. And it's, these cards are going to tell us about this gift that God brought to us. <laughs> I did that on purpose. Sometimes we need help to receive God's gifts. Oh, good catch. All right, let's see. Oh, man down. All right, let's see what we got here. Hang on one second. Let me get these, these off. All right, I got, I got four, four, five, six, seven, eight. Perfect. All right, don't tell me who this is until I read them all, okay? And then you've got to tell everybody in the church, God sent us a special gift. And when God's special gift came, just like I was sitting at the table waiting for my father to come home, everybody, 
on the earth was waiting for this special gift. You want me to tell you about him? All right, let me start. God's special gift loved and taught children. Did you know that? God's special gift lived a perfect life and committed no sin. God's special gift was born in Bethlehem. God's special gift was raised and came from a place called Nazareth. God's special gift died in the cross, on the cross for our sins. Are you starting to think you know who it is? God's special gift rose again from the dead. God's special gift will one day come back to earth. And right now, God's special gift is with the Father in heaven. So tell everybody who it is. That's right. Thank you very much. You can go back and sit down. Jesus. Jesus. All right, church, take your Bibles out with me, if you would, and open them up to the New Testament book of Acts. New Testament book of Acts, chapter 13. Acts, chapter 13. Beginning in verse 13. And that's as simple as it gets right there, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. God's special gift to us. Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark leave the island of Cyprus and go on to share the gospel in a new place. And that's where we catch up with them. Acts chapter 13, verse 13 says this. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them on the way back uh, and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the Law and the Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. So Paul and Barnabas and John Mark had a wonderful time in Cyprus. You remember they went, they met with the leader of the Roman government on the island of Cyprus, Sergius Paulus. And uh, they went there and shared the gospel with them. With him, while they were telling him about Jesus, Bar Jesus, the sorcerer, tried to infiltrate that conversation and prevent them from sharing the gospel. Uh, they, uh, God struck him blind for a season. When Sergius Paulus saw Bar Jesus blind, he was um, overcome uh, by faith and wonder in the power of Jesus, and he's converted to Christ. Since that time, after that happened, that was the first uh, 12 verses of Acts chapter 13, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark leave there. They travel um, up through the Mediterranean uh, to a place called Paphos. Paphos is about 12 miles inland. Uh, it's a coastal city on the Mediterranean Sea. Now, once they arrived there, um, John Mark uh, decides that he's going to leave them and go on back to Jerusalem. Now, when John Mark left them during that time, that uh, left a, a, a seed of bitterness in Paul's heart. Um, we don't know why John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. What we do know is later, when he and when Paul and Barnabas are going to go on another missionary journey, Paul says, John Mark can't go with us. He deserted us uh, back on our previous missionary journey. We don't know why John Mark did that. But it was a point of contention for them later. 
Some scholars think uh, when they left Perga and, and went to Pisidian Antioch, um, this isn't the same Antioch of the Antioch Church. Um, these cities were named after a very well-known Roman governor, so um, it's the same man, different cities named after the same person. This one was to the west in the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, their travel from Perga to Pisidian Antioch was not an easy one. They were going to have to travel 100 miles uh, over a very dangerous um, mountain range. Some people think maybe that's why John Mark left and went back to Jerusalem, but we don't know for sure. We do know that it was a dangerous, uh, dangerous um, trip, but that was apparently what the Holy Spirit called them to do. So they left and went on their way to a place called Pisidian Antioch. Now, they arrived in Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, as Paul and uh, Barnabas and um, missionaries did during that time, especially in Paul's ministry, they, on the Sabbath, went into um, the synagogue uh, to worship God and to share the gospel. Paul had a calling from God to go to the Jews first in every city that he visited, and then those who received Christ, that was celebrated, and he continued to teach those that wouldn't receive Christ, uh, he left them in the, you know, under the authority of the Lord uh, to hopefully repent and come back, um, and then he would move on to the Gentiles after that. So this is what Paul does here. He first goes to the synagogue. Now the synagogue was a Jewish community center, essentially. If you wanted to meet with people, worship God, uh, you had to do business. All that was done in the synagogue and around the synagogue. So during that day, the synagogue was where all the Jews would gather, and Pisidian Antioch was well known as a pretty uh, significant uh, Jewish population of people. And so the leaders of the synagogue on that particular Sabbath day uh, asked Paul and Barnabas, after they had read the scripture um, out of the law and the prophets, so that would have been from the Old Testament, they invite Paul and Barnabas to come and to speak and to preach to the people. So they had no doubt heard that Paul and Barnabas were missionaries, uh, that they were respected teachers, and invited them to come and share with the congregation what was on their heart um, and also what could have been read from the Law and the Prophets on that particular day. That was very common at that time. Look at verse 16. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites, you who fear God, listen. So Paul stands up, and remember uh, how I described what would happen oftentimes in their, in their worship. You know, the word of God was read. Um, they often would sing songs together. And the people are, uh, there, there's a word for this, it's called kibitzing. Um, I've seen this done in Israel upon, you know, visiting that area about 10 years ago. Um, the word of God would be, would be read or someone would be preaching and little groups of people would gather and they would talk about what was just said. So imagine if we, if we were to do that in here, I would say something and you all would be in little groups and you would be like, blah, 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 and, and then you might turn and agree with me or you might disagree with me. I'm glad you don't do that because it would be tough to preach. Um, so Paul obviously didn't want that happening while he's preaching, so that's why Paul stands up in front of the congregation, motions with his hands to silence the crowds so that he can speak the word of God to them. He addresses two groups of people, which was common 
in the synagogue, you would have the Israelites, the Jews, who were born into Judaism, who could trace their lineage back to the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, They were Jews. And then there were people who converted to Judaism called proselytes. They would have been present there. And then there's God-fearers. These would have been Gentile people who had not yet converted to uh, be um, proselytes. They're not proselytes. They just have heard from the Word, and they fear God, and they want to learn more about God. They want to worship God. So Paul stands up, waves his hands, like, y'all be quiet for a second. I got something to say. All right, that's what he was doing. So Paul stands and and now begins his sermon in front of the people, beginning in verse 17. He says, The God of the people Israel chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out of it with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David the son of Jesse to be a man after my own heart, who will carry out my, all my will. So Paul briefly, he begins his sermon with three brief points that everybody would have loved, right? So he starts with reminding his people of God calling us, calling the Jews out. It began with Abram. He was uh, living in the land of Ur or Haran, not necessarily following God. God spoke, revealed himself to him in his life, called him out, said, I want you to leave this place. I want you to go to a land to be determined, something I will point to you. And he said, by the way, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land. And so from that place, God walks with Abram's people. They find themselves in Egypt, as Paul says here, in slavery. And of course, Israel's exodus out of slavery is a momentous point in their history. And this is what Paul is reminding the people of Israel about in this sermon. That God is faithful. God is faithful to us, he says. He led us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Next, God describes, uh, or Paul describes God's faithfulness to Israel in the land of the wilderness. You remember, Israel oftentimes fell short of God's desires for their lives. They fell short of God's law. They fell short of what God wanted for them. And in the midst of that sin, Paul reminds them, our God was faithful to us. God saved them from themselves. God saved them from their slavery. Finally, Paul celebrates the kings that God provided. First Saul, then David, And then a line of kings from each of those men. God saved them from becoming like everybody else. So the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles would have rallied around Paul's sermon as he's preaching this. This is the point where they're saying, Amen! Amen! Fist pumps. Yes! Love it! We love Paul! He's amazing! But, Things are about to get real. Paul is about to make a radical claim that many of them would not yet be prepared to hear. That the Messiah for whom they've been waiting, the one who came 
to save them has come, and his name is Jesus. Well, Paul described in this part of his sermon God's faithfulness. And God's faithfulness didn't end with the Israelite people. God is also faithful to us, isn't he? God is still faithful to fulfill his promises. And God fulfills his promises to us through Jesus. I want to read some of those promises to you this morning. It is a bit long, so bear with me. But God has made many, many promises to us. Did you know that? Maybe you need to hear today that God is faithful. And maybe today you need to hear about the promises that God made to you and that he will fulfill in your life through your relationship with Jesus. Joshua 23, 14, he promises, his promises will not fail. It says that none of the good promises of the Lord your God that he has made you has failed. Not one promise God made has failed and not one promise that God has made will fail. Psalm 119.68 tells us that God is good. It says you are good and you do what is good. Joshua 1.9 tells us that God will be with us. It says do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Hebrews 10.23 promises us that God is faithful. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Isaiah 54.10 tells us that our God promises to have compassion on us. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my love will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says your compassionate Lord. Ephesians 2.10 promises that God has a purpose for you. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Ezekiel 36.26 tells us that God will give us through Jesus a new heart and a new spirit. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Psalm 103.12 says that God will forgive your sins. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. All of these are through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 38 and 39 tells us that God loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is through Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1.7 tells us that God gives you power. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Maybe you need to hear that one twice today. God promises to give you power so that we do not have to live with a spirit of fear because we live and trust in him, the one who gives us power and love and sound judgment. Romans 15, 13, God will give you joy and hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Isaiah 41.10, God will give you strength. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. James 1.5 says that God will give you wisdom. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. John 10.10, he will give you abundant life. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. 1 John 2.25 promises that he will give you eternal life. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. Jeremiah 29.11 tells you that God has a plan for your life. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. Finally, Hebrews 10.23, the promise is that our God is faithful. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Now the question we have and the point at which to which Paul brought his his congregation in the synagogue now is is how do we receive those promises from God? He's made us many promises. How are those fulfilled in our lives? Paul's going to answer that question next for the Jews and the God-fearers in that synagogue. Look at verse 23. From this man's descendants, that's David, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. So Paul clearly and concisely states the most important point of his message, that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Messiah whom God promised to send to his people and in fact to the whole world. There is no other name under which heaven by uh, under heaven by which a man can be saved it's through Jesus and through Jesus alone verse 24 he continues before his coming to public attention John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel now as John was completing his mission he said who do you think i am i am not the one but one is coming after me and i am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. And so Paul moves through the timeline of God's promises for the Jewish people. You see, they knew their Old Testament. They knew that a prophet would come before the Messiah. That prophet would come and he would announce that the Messiah was soon to be here. He would prepare the hearts of his people. Now Paul stands in front of the Jews in the synagogue and tells them that prophet has come and his name was John the baptizer. He's come and he's gone. He led the way. Paul continues, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race. That's another name for the Jews, the 12 tribes of Israel and the people that came after them. And those among you who fear God, remember these are the people that are not Jews, but they're in the synagogue because they fear God, they're learning about Him, they want to follow God. It is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him or the sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their works, their words by condemning him. Though they have found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. 
when they had carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from that tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And now we are witnesses to his witnesses to the people. So Paul now takes the people in that synagogue right into the gospel message. This Jesus is the Messiah. This Jesus was rejected in Jerusalem by our people. And that fulfilled what the prophets said about what would happen to him. He was put up on a cross, fulfilled prophecy about the Messiah and what he would do. Received the wrath of God while he was on that cross, was killed, was buried in the ground. On the third day he rose again. He appeared for 40 days to over 500 people. This is what Paul is saying in this part of the text. And now we, meaning Paul and the others who walked with Jesus at this time, they are witnesses that they saw Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they saw his miracles, they know who he was, they saw him die, they saw him buried in the ground, and they saw him alive after he was dead. This is his testimony. This is his witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus, proclaiming him as the Christ. Next, Paul demonstrates that Jesus fulfilled three specific Old Testament prophecies. So before Jesus came, the Israelites who studied their Old Testament, they knew that there were certain texts in the Old Testament that God gave to the prophets that that were about the Messiah who would one day come. Those are called Messianic prophecies. And so Paul used those Messianic prophecies as a testimony to the Jewish people to try and show them how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies and was, in fact, the Messiah for whom they were waiting. So in this text, Paul's going to talk about three. Verse 32, he says this, And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus As it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. As to his rising from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore, he also says in another passage, You will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep. That means he died. Was buried with his fathers and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Verse 33 is a direct quotation of Psalm 2-7, which the Jews believed that the Messiah would fulfill. Jesus' resurrection from the dead demonstrated his identity as the Son of God. Verse 34 is a quotation of Psalm 55-3, which Jesus fulfilled by establishing an eternal throne and given authority by God over heaven and earth. Verse 35 is a quotation of Psalm 16-10, which Jesus fulfilled by rising from the dead on the third day. Thus his body did not see decay in death, but was resurrected, and Jesus was the first to receive a glorified body, which we will all receive from God at the end of time. So Paul stands up and gives an apologetic or an argument for the reality that Jesus from Nazareth The Jesus whom was crucified in Jerusalem is the Son of God and the Messiah whom God sent 
to save Israel and, in fact, the world from their sins. We see that God is a God who faithfully fulfills His promises through Jesus. When we read this text, in fact, when we read through the Old and the New Testament, C.S. Lewis came to three conclusions about Jesus. He said, if you look into what was said about Jesus and what Jesus said and did in the New Testament, you have to come to one of three conclusions. He said, he called this the trilemma. He said, you can only come to one of three conclusions about Jesus if you read through and study the New Testament and the Old Testament and what it said about him. He had to be one of three things. He either had to be a liar, meaning the things that he said he knew weren't true, and he was lying about who he really was, right? So if you read about all the things that Jesus said and did and and claimed to be, if he wasn't those things and knew he wasn't those things, then he was a liar, right? So he either has to be a liar or he had to be a lunatic, right? So he actually believed he was those things, but he really wasn't, and he was a crazy man, and so he was a lunatic. So you either have to admit that he was a liar, knowing he wasn't who he said he was, or a lunatic, believing he was someone that he wasn't, or you have to conclude that he is the Lord of the universe. That removes all opportunity for you to say that Jesus was just a good man, a good teacher, someone to emulate or follow. That's not who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God walking on this earth, sent by God, the Son of God, and the Savior of Israel and the world from our sins. That's who he claimed to be. And so we either admit to him being the Lord of our lives and all of creation, or we admit that he was a liar or a lunatic. He has to be one of those three things. Finally, Paul's going to give the people in the synagogue some good news. He's going to challenge them, and he's going to challenge us today. He's going to challenge you today. We know that God is faithful to fulfill his promises. We know that God has given us promises through Jesus. Now the final answer, uh, the final question we have that we need to answer is, you know, how do we receive the promises that God has made for us? Anybody, you remember the list of promises I read for like 10 minutes, right? Anybody want, you like those things? Anybody want some joy, hope? Anybody, we're kind of short on wisdom today. We could use some of that. How about some eternal life? Uh, All those, that sounds awesome. Reconcile with God and other people. Those are all things that God does and promises to do in your life through Jesus. But how do we receive those promises from God? Well, Paul's going to tell the people in the synagogue how to do that. Verse 38, he continues. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, that's Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe even if someone were to explain it to you. 
Finally, Paul calls on the people in the synagogue to repent of their sin and to believe in Jesus as Savior. Jesus is, in fact, the one final sacrifice for their sins. No longer would they need to live in accordance with the law, offering sacrifices regularly, annually on the Day of Atonement. Because Jesus died, His blood was shed once and for all on their behalf. And so Jesus, or so Paul confronts them. So don't be like Habakkuk, the people who lived in Habakkuk's day. He quotes Habakkuk 1.5. So don't be like them who heard the message, who heard the word of God, and then turned an ear to it. He said kind of like turn their back upon it and harden their hearts. Don't be like them. Receive the word that's proclaimed in your presence today. He says you've heard the message about Jesus. Repent of your sin and believe in him as your Savior. So Paul kind of, or Luke sums up what happens here in verse 42. He says, As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. And so there's a group of people who heard that message, not just with their ears, but with their hearts. Y'all remember what it was like the day that you were saved? Remember the warm movement of the Holy Spirit in your heart? That's what's going on in their hearts. They're like, man, we love this. Can you come back next week? Can you come back next week and tell us more about Jesus? We love him. We, we want to hear about him and how we can walk with him. How can you receive God's promises and salvation from your sins? Through Jesus. Jesus is the one that God sent for us. He's the gift for whom the world waited. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, demonstrating through power of signs and wonders that he was and is who he said he is. He never sinned, not one time. He, he gave his life over to be nailed up on a cross. And on that cross, he received the wrath of God, taking the punishment for your sin and for mine. His blood was poured out as an atonement or a sacrificial offering on your behalf. Jesus died on that cross. And then he was taken down and buried in the ground under heavy Roman garb. And on the third day, by the power of God, he rose again, conquering death and sin and Satan. He walked the earth for 40 days, demonstrating that he had come back to life. And then he ascended to be at the right hand of God the Father, which is where he resides today, waiting for the Father to send him back to earth to bring his church home. If you have not yet turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, today is the day for you to do that. Is today your day? As Paul said, do not harden your heart to this message. Follow Jesus. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Now the rest of you who are Christians already, we need to walk with God through Jesus in obedience to his word to experience many of the promises that he makes to us in his word. Maybe you're like, I, I'm a Christian, I, I, I remember turning from sin and trusting in Jesus as Lord, and 
I'm just not experiencing those things that God's promised that I could have. Well, let me ask you a few questions in closing. Joshua 1.9 says that God is with you. Maybe you don't feel like God's with you today. Is it because you're not walking with Jesus? Are you reading his word? Are you praying to him? Are you fellowshipping with other believers? Ephesians 2.10 says that God has a purpose uh, purpose for you. But whose plan are you following? Are you following God's plan for your life? Are you following your own plan for your life? Luke 11.13 says that God will give you the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to Him? Abiding in the Holy Spirit? Or are you grieving Him? Psalm 103.12 says that God will forgive you. But are you approaching our God with a humble heart in repentance to be forgiven? Psalm 16.11 says that God will fill you with joy. Are you seeking the joy of the Lord? Are you looking for happiness in the things of the world, the things the world has to offer? Isaiah 41.10 says that God will give you strength. Whose strength do you rely on? Your own or the Lord's? James 1.5 says that God will give you wisdom. But it also says that we need to ask for that wisdom. Are you asking God for wisdom today? John 10.10 says that God will give you abundant life in Him. Are you seeking that abundance? Are you seeking abundance from some other source? 1 John 2.25 says that God will give you eternal life through Jesus. But who is your functional Savior? A functional Savior is the Savior we turn to every day and in our time of need is our functional saviors could be our money our wealth our resources it could be medicine could be science could be another person there can be only one savior in our lives jesus one place one altar at which we worship and that's god's altar first john 2 I'm uh, sorry, Jeremiah 29, 11 says that God has a plan for your life. Let me ask you, what's your plan? And who designed it? Finally, Hebrews 10, 23, God is trustworthy. Who or what do you trust above all things? Like Paul, I, I wanted to put those things in front of you today because God's word is effective and it slices right into our heart, our soul, our bone and marrow. And so what will we do in response to the proclamation of the word today? Some of you in here need to receive Jesus as Lord. Some of you need to be saved. Others of you are not walking with Jesus the way you should be. Today is the day for you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day for you to make things right with the Lord. Today is the day for you to receive the promises that God desires for you to have through Jesus. In just a minute, I'm going to ask everyone to stand up. This is a time for us to make decisions. We're going to sing a song together. 
I mean, you can make your decisions back in your seat. You can come up to the altar and pray. Whatever God's calling you to do today, don't let this moment pass. Don't turn your ear away from the, the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. What is He calling you to do today? Would you all stand with me? What decision is God calling you to make today? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of decision. As we close down and finish this time of worshiping you, we pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and that our hearts would be soft and pliable, that you would give us the faith it takes to make whatever decision it is that you've called us to make today. Some, it will be to be saved. Others, it will be to turn away from sin and repentance and receive forgiveness from you. And others, maybe to take some step of faith we pray in this time that you would move among us and that you would give us the faith that it takes to take that step. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.